Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. Finally, we're getting to the Jerusalem Council. Before we proceed, we need to talk, we need to discuss circumcision a little bit, okay? Um, and before we do that, so real quickly, leading into chapter 15, um, before this had happened, which we discussed briefly when we were looking at Genesis, but God had called uh, Abraham, his name at that time was still Abram, out of his father's house to sojourn a land, remember, and, and that's what he's called him to. Um, but he, he, just after he delivered his uh, nephew Lot, from, you know, in, in the Sodom and Gomorrah when they were attacked, uh, this takes place, okay? So we're going to read through it, and then we'll discuss it briefly, because this is important going into circumcision, okay? This isn't the covenant of circumcision, but it goes before, and it's important to set up looking at circumcision. So, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's very important. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a dark sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict, and they will afflict them for four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This passage is important. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Kedamites, the, uh, uh, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Okay, all of that to go back to, let's go back up to verse 17, okay? And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Okay, so before, so God comes to Abram and tells him, you know, do not be afraid. You know, I am your shield and your great, you know, your, uh, your, your exceedingly great reward. And Abram says, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go child? At this point, Abram is basically the richest man in the world. 
He has all the sorts of possessions. He's got all sorts of servants. Eleazar is a very faithful servant, as we'll see when uh, he has to find a wife for Isaac, which is much later. But, so he says, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So I, you've blessed me. This is great. This is fantastic. But you keep on telling me, <laughs> you know, uh, all of these descendants and everything first you know I was supposed to, uh, I was supposed to look at the dust and, you know they're going to be they're going to number about that much and now you're telling me to look at the stars you know if you haven't noticed you know I'm 80 years old at this point and you know I have no children now and then God goes on to say because then he says you know Eleazar is basically my heir my servant and and God says this one will not be your heir you know and then he says uh, this one, the number you're but to do, look now toward the heaven, count the stars. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. We will get back to that later. This is very important though. He believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham is the father of the faith because of this verse, generally. But we'll talk about this uh, later uh, in this study. Um, and he said, Lord, Lord God, how shall I know that I inherit it? And that's when he tells him to go get those animals, split them in two, and put them on either side of each other. Okay? Then, in verse 17, so uh, Abram goes into a deep sleep, and God, and God tells him all this stuff. And then, verse 17, And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. What God is saying, this is God passing through these pieces. What he's saying, in order to seal a covenant, it had to be sealed by blood. I'll just put it that way, okay? So these are the animals. But basically what God is saying, because God is making these covenants only for, you know, for his own purpose. You know, there's nothing Abram is doing to, to seal this covenant or even to cause this covenant or fulfill this covenant. This is all of God. Now, this smoking oven and torch is God passing through basically saying if what I promised if my covenant doesn't come to pass may I be like these pieces may the eternal God become finite may the infinite become finite may the most all-powerful being become nothing may I may my name become like these okay that's that's the ceiling of the covenant okay all right um in chapter 17 uh 9 through 14 is where god establishes the covenant of circumcision i'm just going to read this for you and god said to abraham as for you you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it should be a sign of the covenant between me and you uh, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house uh, and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh uh, for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is just I, what we're illustrating right now is why circumcision was so important to the Jews. And it still is. But why it is, okay? Um, uh, it, this is yeah, so this is a complete unity 
with that covenant. The, the cutting of the foreskin is basically a type of image as the torn pieces. Okay, so basically that this is another seal of the covenant, but this is a command to do to in each generation as a seal of the covenant he made with Abraham. Okay, that 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 his descendants will be as numerous as the stars, that he will make him a father of many nations, that he will be that he is his shield, his exceeding great reward, the, the all of the treasure, all of the covenant, all of all of God's promises are basically begin essentially with the Jew or under Abraham anyway the Abrahamic covenant is essential for the Jew and the circumcision is basically kind of this, their sign linking themselves to this covenant okay so it's very important for them in that regard and um, uh, use the yeah no oh well. um, in Hebrews 6:13 it says for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could not swear by because he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself saying surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you because again God can't swear by anything greater so he only swears to, by himself that's why he goes through you know the the uh, the animals um, and before the covenant of circumcision uh, he renamed Abram uh, which is exalted father to Abraham uh, which means father of a multitude. He changes his name. So he's already exalted father, and then he changes his no name to father of a multitude. The Jews basically continue to see the exalted father, so they basically just see him as Abram, unfortunately. He is the father of a multitude, of all nations, of many nations is what God says, because again, the Gentiles are grafted in, and it was always, always supposed to be this way. It's just, you know, in God's timing. That's why Christ came in the fullness of time. Okay, but this this is important just to... And also, after this covenant, uh, he, God established... After God established his covenant, he also renamed Sarai to Sarah, that was, uh, Abram's wife. And basically, Sarai is princess with a small p. Sarah is princess with a big, t, big p, basically. Uh, uh, because it's, it, it's a very noble. It's actually regal. It's just more... Noble, <laughs> more yeah, royal. Okay, and Abraham, now he's Abraham, was 99 years old when he was circumcised, which, you know, obviously the pain would be um, immediate, but he immediately obeys and circumcises all the males in that house, including his first son Ishmael, who he had with um, uh, Sarah's handmaiden, which we'll discuss another time. Ishmael is not the promised seed that's, that comes through Isaac is, y'all can read in your, but we'll come to that, God willing, at some point. But Ishmael, uh, Ishmael is 13 years old at this time. Fortunately for Isaac, he hasn't been born. So he'll be circumcised on, on the eighth day. Um, but circumcision provided something, as a, of a, something like a protection for, for uh, the Israelites. Chrissa had reminded me of a story uh, of... of uh, um, Jacob's sons, uh, th th there's, th there's a man named Sheshem, and, they, and he rapes their sister, Dinah. And, but he falls in love with her, I guess, and he asks for her hand in marriage. And basically they say, they're upset, obviously, about the rape. I mean, that's a violent, you know, and 
he deserves death, but he's asking for his hand in marriage and her, her hand in marriage and everything. He's asking the brothers and the father, and basically the brothers say, "Okay, you know, you can marry her, but all of you need to be circumcised. You and your household, you and all the Sheshemites need to be circumcised." So they agree. His whole household is circumcised, and the brothers go in and kill them and plunder the city. So the violence that was done on Dinah is a vengeance done by his sons. But, and then later, uh, in, in the account of uh, the battle in Jericho, the, males, the, male ish, the male Israelites all get circumcised, and then they defeat uh, um, um, I just said the name Jericho uh, um, anyway so the one circumcision helped weaken the enemy and that's how their strength that's how their uh, protection was done basically that's how their strength came and the other it was a circumcision itself them you know obeying and Performing the, uh, the the circumcision that helped deliver them in uh, in Jericho, um, and Jacob didn't like what his sons did, but you know we'll we'll consider that another time, God willing. Um, yeah, again, circumcision was uh, was tied to the faith which Israel was called to have. Um, many prophets, and we've seen this, implored implored people to circumcise the foreskins of their hearts. And that's really what this circumcision is called, is meant to signify. Again, the covenant God made with Abraham in, in saying that you're going to be the father of many nations. And, God, and Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him as righteousness. Again, we're going to see that later. But it's just important uh, that, that we recognize that, that that circumcision ties in to that covenant. But but in such a way where it manifests faith, where it manifests a, a, a circumcised heart. Okay, that's what this, this is supposed to signify. The Jews will start to see this, this simply symbolize them as a people. And it's no, it comes, becomes less and less of, of a covenant of faith and more and more a covenant of works. And that's really what's going to be addressed at this council. That's why it's kind of important that we, were, that we recognize that. Now... There were some practices of circumcision in the ancient times, like Egypt would be one. Occasionally, they would circumcise their priests for a purity rite. The circumcision for the Jew was not a purity rite. It didn't symbolize purity. It symbolized a covenant. It symbolizes God's promise to his people. Okay. Um, no. However, neither Greece nor Rome... So neither uh, Greeks or Romans circumcised. In fact, they would, so, and in Alexandria, uh, they would, the guys would get together in the gymnasium and they'd play sports in the nude. And so when these Romans or Greeks would see these uncircumcised people, they would deride them. They, they would make fun of them. Sometimes they would persecute them. So there, were, there came a time where Jews didn't get circumcised because they didn't want to be socially outcasts. They didn't want to be social outcasts. This was a big deal. This is written about in Maccabees, uh, which is in the Catholic Bible. Uh, it's part of the Apocrypha, but, but it is, you know, it's true history. Um, 
but anyways, so it's mentioned there. Uh, Strabo and Tacitus, they're uh, uh, Roman historians back then. They derided the custom as superstitious and depraved uh, and, su and suggested it was an attempt from the Jew to control sexual relations between they and Gentiles. I just wanted to be, uh, we need to understand also that the Jews were persecuted for this, for this circumcision often. Okay, so this is one reason these people are, are very reluctant to get rid of the, the covenant of the circumcision. It, it, it means a lot to them in their faith, in their, 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 their covenant as a people. And it's important, you know, these people who, 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 who disobeyed in, in, in all of that, you know, and this persecution, they're seeing that, they, that this is a necessary covenant that must continue. Just because the Christians are getting persecuted, you know, they were used to already getting persecuted because of circumcision. So they think that this should continue. I just wanted to make that a point at the outset, which we'll kind of look back at um, as we go along. But it's important at the outset that we, we understand because who, who, the people who are beginning this problem, basically, to, to make it necessarily for this council... Are, are called Judaizers. Uh, and so they, they think that all Christians, all new believers need to be circumcised. And we're kind of going to briefly look at why in those particular areas as well. But this is important setting it up, okay? Because there's, a, there's all the reason in the world that they would find it necessary for these people to be circumcised, okay? It's not an, an irrational thing, which we'll see. Okay, well, let me go here first. All right, let's go ahead and read. Acts 15, let's go here, can't see any of that, all right, everybody ready? Um, yep. Yeah. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to, up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had, oh, I'm sorry, real quickly, we're only going to verse uh, 21. I neglected to mention that. Oh, back over here. Um, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and, and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no, no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent, and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so, th so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from, all, from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those, from, uh, among, those um, from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. 
For Moses has had... Th- for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Okay. So, verses 1 and 2. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when uh, Paul and Barnabas had no small dis- dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain, o- certain others of them should go, do, go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Just so you know, when they say up and down or whatever, this is, this is rarely a geographical thing. It's more of a topico- topo- uh, topography. So basically, when they say up, it's higher in elevation. Okay, um, But anyway, so uh, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the... So, Somehow, somehow, word has traveled to Judea that this is happening, that the Gentiles are being saved, and now men from, from Judea, could have been John Mark, it could have been, we don't know who, but somehow word got to them, and now peop- these people are coming down to uh, Antioch. Remember, they're in Antioch, the, 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 Syri- or the, um, yeah, the Syrian uh, Antioch, so the one that they were originally set out to the other ones. Uh, anyway. Uh, and they say, and they're taught the brethren, so they're not just mentioning this in passing. This is a teaching. They're like, you know, sitting down with these people and teaching this as doctrine. Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's very important. That's very important. So they're saying, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Salvation depends on the circumcision. Again, they are linking circumcision with faith. A perfectly rational thing but like we saw in our study just because it's rational doesn't mean it's real it just does, doesn't mean it's right okay just because you can conceive of this thing doesn't make it so remember unicorns so this is perfectly rational this is perfectly reasonable I see all the reason in the world why they would find this necessary but <laughs> Paul and Barnabas don't and remember Paul was a Pharisee of, well, you don't know this yet, we haven't seen it yet, but he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And we're going to see when they, they return to Jerusalem, the men who are uh, basically saying this same thing there were Pharisees. So now even Pharisees are starting to believe, but they're saying the same thing. But, but Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He, was, he, was, he, he goes into... I mean, he, he was taught as a Jew, the customs of the Jew from a very young child, went to the greatest uh, you know, education centers at that time in the, uh, in the school of Judaism and in the law and all of that. And he was a very devout uh, Jew at that time. And, but he, Christ has called him to be an apostle. And Paul knows faith only comes through Christ, which well, is what we're going to see. So they had no small dissension. And now, these people are now arguing with these apostles. The matter technically should have been settled there, but it's not. Now, I don't think that's, again, I don't think that's a lack of obedience with these people. Because again, uh, they had no small dissension to dispute with them. Then they determined to send Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them, the, the, the men from Judea, uh, should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So let's go figure out what the answer is. That's all they're, they're, they're coming to agree that this is a disagreement between brothers. And so basically it needs to be settled by elder brothers. Okay, that kind of a thing. And that's what they, that's what they do. They agree. Okay, let's go do that. Let's, let's settle this once and for all. All right. Um, okay. Just skip, I'm going to skip through all that. All right. Uh, verse 3. Why is this? 
whatever. Uh, so being sent on their way by the church. Is this what we show? I think so. Yeah. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and, Ser- uh, and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Real quickly. They're obviously just passing through. Phine- Remember, Phoenicia is the coastlands that Philip had gone and started churches and then Peter went and visited to to make sure it was uh, legit and to encourage them um, and you know and Samaria is that large area remember that's where Philip first began uh, so they're passing through them and visiting all the churches and describing the conversion of the Gentiles their missionary journeys so they're going to these places who who they had they had been with who had been established long before they were sent out to those places so this is this is great news, so they cause great joy to all the brethren. This is an eternal joy that we get to share with our brothers and sisters now, in the past, and in the future. This is a great anthem. This is a wonderful, wonderful joy. This, 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 this praising God, the, the elation that we get from the salvation of brothers and sisters, Pat brothers and sisters, is joined with our brothers and sisters who have passed, who are now here, and who will come after us. This is an eternal, eternal joy. And I just want to recognize, because this is a very, just one verse, but there's so much in this. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. Again, this, this is not an occasion specified only for this time. They go to the other churches and the same thing. But this should be encouraging to the churches now as well just as it just as it was encouraging then and just as it should continue to be encouraging forever okay okay uh verses four and five and when they had come to jerusalem they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported all the things uh that god had done with them but some of the sect of the pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of moses okay so when they come they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported all the things that so they're telling you know paul and barnabas are telling all of them about all the wonderful things and we had just seen in the last verse that caused great joy to all the brethren well and then they must have gone into, you know, the dissension between the, the Judaizers. That's what they're called. This, this, this heresy is, is, is uh, known as Judaizers, Judaizer heresy, okay? Uh, but the first heresy that, that, that provokes this council is one by brothers. Th- these are not brothers, as we'll see, who decide, therefore, to separate and begin a completely different religion, like Simon Magus did, with Gnosticism. Okay? This is one that will be settled, but it's one within the church. It's an understandable one. Many people will find the Judaizers as completely heretical and devils, basically. We see no malice in this, this account at all. None of these. First, they, they agree to go, go to this council. Let's go settle this. And we'll see later that they keep quiet during the whole thing. And then after the, the decision's made, they're all glad. They're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's, and they're perfectly content with it, including the Pharisees. So this, these, aren't, these aren't malicious brothers seeking to tear down the church or to make her something she's, she's not. These are just confused. At the very least, they're just confused. Uh, 
Okay, and this is what's uh, getting settled. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, again, wonderful, wonderful, and fascinating that he, that God is. You know, we see we have a tendency to see the word Pharisees and see them as devils. Now, the Pharisees at that time before Christ, they were like, they were. <laughs> I mean, they were corrupt, they were very corrupt, but they were true believers, even within the Pharisees. Paul, who was called Saul before, was a devout Jew. He loved Yahweh, and he loved the, the, the uh, law of Moses, and to keep the uh, law of Moses. And I guarantee you, he did not care for the people who decided to not get circumcised, because they were afraid of persecution or whatever. I guarantee you, he wasn't a fan of that. Um, but... So, these are Pharisees who believe they rose up. These are Christians, Christian Pharisees, who rose up and says, it is necessary to circumcise them and command to keep the law of Moses because the law is not abolished by Christ. It is fulfilled in Christ. These people see that, that, that Abraham is the father of many nations, and so that's where they, they see that it's not just Israel. I, we love the fact that you know, he's calling the Gentiles to him. We see in Isaiah and all these prophets, you know, I see that it, that it is basically going to be a global enterprise, basically. So they're fine with all the Gentiles coming in. But again, this covenant was specifically given to this father of nations, who, in that verse, you know, uh, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as for righteousness. Again, we're going to get to that later. But, so that's faith. There's the faith. And then the covenant is given after that. Okay? And, but we're going to get into that here in a second. Because that's causing their confusion, though. That's part of what's causing their confusion. They, they're, they're acquiescing to, you know, basically, you know, you are only saved by faith. But this, the circumcision was specified to the faith they see it linking to the faith that comes from Abraham as well um okay yeah pretty much already said that well let me say this um yeah do 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 yeah again God did not choose Abraham though because of his faith Abraham faith had faith because God chose him this is something we've talked about uh, for uh, over and over and over again. To believe in God is one thing. Even the demons believe that and tremble. That's in James 2.19. To believe God is quite another. So it's one thing to believe in the existence of God, which we've established finally. You know, in our previous study, it's one thing to believe in the existence of a God. Or even to believe in Yahweh. It's another thing to believe Yahweh. It's another thing to believe God. So, I'm going to go through a couple things. So, do you believe him? When Christ said, no man comes to the Father except through me, do you believe him? When he tells you to take up your cross and follow him, do you equally believe him? When he says through his apostle, we must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations, do you believe him? When he speaks of the salvation of, uh, by grace alone, do you believe him? And when he speaks of hell and damnation, do you believe him? A true Christian is not true when he supposes he accepts everything. A true Christian is a true Christian when he says he believes everything. It's very, it's very hard for me to accept the, the fact of, of damnation, to accept the possibility that some who, I'm dear, who I, I dearly love and hold dearly in my heart will be damned. That, that's very difficult for me to accept. It is not difficult for me to believe. 
God is just. God is holy. I, I accept that. I easily accept that. But I believe him. It's difficult. But it's a difference between accepting it and believing it. Now, because we will never, none of us in our sinful condition will accept all this truly in our hearts. Sanctification will make that more and more and more of a reality. But the, 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 the belief is necessary at salvation. You must, you know, if you don't believe in the God of the Bible and you don't believe what he's, everything he says, you are not a Christian. This isn't, this isn't credulity though. I'm not telling you, believe just because he said it. I am saying, though, if he said it, all you are left with is to believe him. To disbelieve, you're not only a fool, you're a devil yourself. Again, even the demons believe in the existence of God and tremble, because they know what it means for them. Anyway, um, okay. All right, oh gosh, I can't change. All right. Okay, verse 6. Now the apostles and elders uh, came together to consider this matter. Here's another time we get to set up the scene. Okay, again, this is a council about, right now it just says, now. The, but in verse 12, we actually see that the whole assembly was there. So the, right now we just see the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. But understand that all the rest are there too, witnessing this important council. Okay, um, and again, this is the first council to, to quell a heresy. Um, again, this one is the first one that's that's brought from within. Remember that occasion in, um, I don't remember what chapter that was, but when uh, they were they were saying basically it's not desirous that we, that we should serve tables, you know, and then they brought the whole church together and just decided that this is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, <laughs> find some men who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are full of wisdom and so forth, and, you know, we're going to sign this task to that. Here, it, it, this, is, this necessitates a bigger, a, great, a more wide uh, meeting of men, leaders. Remember, Jerusalem is still the headquarters of the church at this time, basically. So this, these are all the, 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 the ones who are most called by God for this purpose. Okay, And they're all getting together. This is a beautiful thing, the most appropriate thing. And it's a wonderful thing, but so this is all again um, to uh, to settle this heresy. Um, by the way, this hierarchy, though, so these apostles and and elders, is is not a hierarchy of power. It's a hierarchy of authority. Many of these people we see, we'll see James seemingly doesn't have any visions he doesn't get the visions like you know we see peter does. and he doesn't seem to perform signs and wonders as we saw paul and barnabas do and we'll see that at least is suggested so he didn't have the power to do that but he we will also see he's the highest authority in this council we'll see that but i just wanted to make it make it clear this is not a hierarchy of power it is of authority okay it's just important to recognize that all right and again, hope even if you can find that difficult to accept, hope you can find it 
easy to, uh, to believe. Okay, verses 7 through 11. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying the, their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, with which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be saved in the same manner as they. So this is the last time we see Peter. That's why I wanted to kind of give you the whole thing, and we'll break this this down. But this is the last time we'll see Peter in, in the book of Acts. So just a word or two about him real quickly. Peter. He, so he was obviously the leader of the apostles, even during Christ's ministry. He's, he's seemingly the closest one to Jesus also. He flies off the handle sometimes, <laughs> yeah, but he, has, he, he, he loves Christ. He, he obviously loves Christ very much, and, and he's... And he's willing, he even says, I'll die with you. You know, he thinks he will. And then he's the same one that denies him. You know, Peter has this conflict. This conflict with himself over and over again. And then we see gradually, really, in the book of Acts, that becoming more, more or less and less the case. Remember when... When, when uh, that first vision in Joppa came to him and, you know, the sheet is coming down full of all these animals and, you know, he hears a voice, they take up and eat, you know, and he says, not so, Lord, you know, I haven't eaten anything uncommon or unclean or anything common or unclean. And then even when he realizes that it's the Gentiles, we know that he, he, was, reluctant, he was reluctant to that. But then, once, so... Uh, first of all, so by the way, okay, so God who knows the heart and the giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. Once he realizes that, he, I can't, I just can't, all of that goes away. All of that darkness, all of that, you know, all of that shadow, which he believed but didn't accept. Now he's left to, with nothing else but to accept it. The truth that God has chosen them just as they uh, chose us, meaning them. So, and when there had been much dispute, Peter, so there's still a dispute. This, these Pharisees are causing this dispute. They're, they're, you know, arguing back and forth. Peter rose and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear. That's when he had gone, been called to Cornelius. Remember, that was the first time a Gentile was saved. And so he was the first one called. Um should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. That's where, you know, God rained down his spirit on those people, and they, that hit on Cornelius and his household, and they believed. Um, and that's where he saw it, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He's saying this is a yoke. Okay, again. The law, specifically the Ten Commandments, I mean, love God with all your heart, with all your, you know, all of those still apply. All of those still definitely apply. Some of the um, rites and so forth of, of Judaism don't continue. And this is one of them. What was originally symbolized specifically for the Jew, this is one thing that, that is, still remains really specific to the Jew, the, the covenant of circumcision, or the rite of circumcision. 
the faith that came before that, Hebrews also goes on. Paul, Paul says, and I think we've actually uh, mentioned this part, but he says, you know, when was, uh, when was Abraham counted righteousness? Remember what we see, we see, you know, Abraham believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. Was, was he, you know, considered righteous before the circumcision or after the circumcision? It wasn't after, it was before. He was saved before the covenant of circumcision. So the circumcision sealed that faith in a Jewish perspective. Does that make sense? This is important, at least in this account. But uh, Peter is making the point that this is a yoke that neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Even the ones to whom it was meant for weren't able to bear this. And it didn't, you know, and again, uh, Abraham, the covenant from whom this comes, you know, the covenant that God made with this gentleman was saved before he was circumcised. So this can't be you know, mandatory for the Christian or the believers. You know, we'll get into this. Oh, here we go. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. There is no distinction anymore. Peter knows that. There is no distinction between the G Gentile and the Jew anymore. So forget, put away this, this circumcision thing. Quit putting a yoke on the neck of any disciple that we weren't able to bear nor are fathers before us, nor will any, will any Christian. The faith of the Christian, the faith of the, of the way, of the followers of the way, is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone. No circumcision, no, no, no performance ritual, no baptism saves you. Baptism is a command. And that's actually a, a symbol of the circumcision as well. Through many different ways, which we can just actually, well, we divvy this up, so let's do it. So, um, one way baptism is, is, is symbolized, this is one that, that you hear mostly through the modern church now, is that it symbolizes our death with Christ and our resurrection with Christ. So it's the tearing away, tearing away, think of the pieces and think of the foreskin, it's a tearing away from, of death to eternal life. Okay, so that baptism is sort of a replacement of circumcision, if you want to put it that I mean, it kind of is, but, you know, it, it is in that way. Um, okay, but again, only through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, um, then all the multitude kept silent, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the uh, Gentiles. So, they're so Peter gets done, and the multitude, so this is where we see the multitude is still there, and listen, it kept silent again. So once Peter started talking, once this dispute started rising, and then Peter starts talking, they get quiet. They listen to the apostle, and he makes a, an argument so compelling that they keep silent. They don't say they acquiesce, and they say, oh, okay, cool, thank you, Peter, I see the light now. No, they kept silent, and they're listening to more testimony. And Barnabas and Paul are declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Basically, again, there is no distinction. So Paul, Peter had begun his account with him going to the Gentiles, and they're saying with their account that they had gone to the Gentiles, and God made no distinction between the, them and the Jew there either, whether they were circumcised or not. 
<laughs> you know, so they're making that point, just emphasizing it, um, uh, adding to what uh, Peter had had said. Okay. Okay. Uh, 13 and 14. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how uh, God at the first visited the Gentiles to take uh, of them the people, a people for his name. This is James the Just. We briefly mentioned him, or James the Righteous. James is a very faithful, very faithful man. I, again, implore you to read his, his book. One of, you know, it's one of my... Uh, go-tos. It's the one, the only one that's uh, categorized as wisdom literature in the New Testament. It's profound. It's it's wonderful. He says a lot in very little, but it's 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 great. But yeah, this is James the Judge. Well, I mean, this is somebody's painting of him. <laughs> um, so after they had become silent, James answered. So this the Greek word. I think I'm getting whatever. Uh, but the the word can mean an answer to a question. Or an answer to what just was saying. So basically, he's so those Peter and Paul and Barnabas are making an argument, right? They're making their case, so to speak, and James is now answering according to what the, the, the according to their testimony. Okay, uh, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God. What he's saying here is that this didn't begin. Remember when um, Peter had come back. Uh, um, uh, from Cornelius and and the Jews it, in Jerusalem were all upset. You know, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. What's up with that? And he had to quell their thing, their deal. You know, gives them the whole account over again, and and then they're satisfied. But apparently, it didn't. You know, that kept spreading somewhat until you know people from Judea are going down to Paul and Barnabas. And they're coming back to answer this. But James is saying, this is something Peter has mentioned, at least you know, repeatedly. We know this account. He doesn't mention Paul and Barnabas just because in Jerusalem, they've heard this account many times. That's what I'm saying. That, that's, that's basically my only point. That they, The reason that he doesn't include Paul and Barnabas either is not because he doesn't like them or anything. It's just because... They'd heard, Simon, Simon's original name was Peter. I'm sure you remember that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's why he's saying, you know, uh, declared God at the first um, uh, visit the Gentiles. Okay, all right. Uh, and, okay, now we're going to see, so he's going to give a prophecy. So he answers this not by, with his own vision, you know, Peter had gone, you know, and you know this, that whole story, and, and hey, I had this vision, and you know, all of that. No, he didn't do, he doesn't do that. And he didn't go to, you know, continue with Paul and Barnabas, and they're performing signs and wonders, and say, yeah, and I've been doing these signs and wonders too. No, he actually confirms their message with prophecy. And, oh, that's cool. I didn't know I did that. Anyway, uh, so basically this is, this suggests that James had no power like that himself. He, 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 is, he is ultimately the judge of this council, which we'll see after this, but he, he's very important, but he doesn't seem to have any power. Uh, other than wisdom, he's very wise, as you see in his book, um, and he resembles a lot of what Christ says, 
but he himself seems to not have uh, any power. Okay, verse 15 through 17. And with this, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up, so that the rest of man, uh, mankind may see the Lord, uh, seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Says the Lord who does all these things. So with this, the words of the prophets agree. So what he's saying is, well, Simon has been telling you over and over and over again. With this, the prophets agree. The prophets don't agree that all these, the Gentiles need to be circumcised. None of the prophets said that. <laughs> you know, with what Simon's saying, the words of the prophets do agree. Just as it is written, after this I will return. Okay, so briefly, real quickly, this, so the, this is taken from the Septuagint. This is from Amos. This is from uh, the book of Amos, uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. This is from the Septuagint version, the Hebrew version, because we're going to have to consider this for a moment uh, to consider what he's implying by this. But the, the Hebrew is translated, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruin uh, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this, th who does this thing. So though all of those can be reconciled with these, except for this. After this hour return, hmm, I got to tell you, <laughs> I looked far and wide. I, 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 all of my commentaries, uh, I saw it online, all sorts of different things. We sent a message to somebody to, to, get, to get some sort of guidance. Just so you know, I do think I have a possible <laughs> reason, okay? But just so you know, this is completely my conjecture. Just so at the outset, uh, I couldn't see any. I, I saw one brief thing uh, where Calvin, John Calvin had mentioned it, but it was really in passing. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that. So after this, I will return. Um, and I looked, I searched in the uh, Septuagint and it's not there either. So, um, so Amos prophesied during the reign of Uzziah, the king, obviously early in his, in his reign. King Uzziah was a very faithful king at first. He reigned for 52 years. He was, he was a king over Judah at that time, but, he, but Amos was prophesying during this time, early in Uzziah, Uzziah's reign, which, when, at that time, the, the boundaries of, of Judah were increasing, they were, the, their economy was booming, everything was going really well, and Amos prophesies warnings, a bunch of different warnings. He's warning these people who are getting fat on their laurels, you know, who are just like the church is capable of doing when she's comfortable and when she's, you know, not being persecuted, she gets fat and lazy and loses her first love. And that was the tendency of Israel over and over and over. And Amos in his in his prophecies kind of pointing back to Look, you know, this, this has happened over and over and over again where, you know, God comes in and judges us. We all repent and everything goes back to great. We all start worshiping God again. And then we all get fat and lazy again. And then he has to judge us again. And, and Amos is saying, look, this next one, you know, and he, he also says, you know, the day of the door, the day of the Lord, day of the Lord. All you, all you people are all interested in the day of the Lord. Why are you so interested in the day of the Lord? For you, it'll be darkness. For you, it'll be darkness because you don't love God. You think you're just, you just assume because you're just part of the people that you think you're just involved 
in that. No, the day of the Lord for you will be darkness. Um, okay, now Uzziah at a certain point fell. He fell away from God in his arrogance, and he went into the temple to burn incense, which was not allowed. Only the Levites were allowed to do that. So Amaziah, I think, yeah, Amaziah, uh, the priest and 80 other men went in after him uh, to and told him, it's unlawful for you to do this. It's completely wrong for you to do this. And Uzziah gets upset. He gets mad at him. And he's got the censer in his hand, obviously probably about to still burn the incense anyway. And he's struck with leprosy, his forehead. It says his forehead. It's struck with leprosy. And so like then they're like, you, now you have to get out. <laughs> and he fled out. And for the rest of his life, he lived in an isolated house. And he died that way. So... And again, so that's a judgment. And two years after Amos had prophesied, there was a great earthquake. Now, in, in the Middle East, in this, uh, this general uh, geographic location, there are earthquakes. So this one must have been a huge one because it's specified at the beginning of his prophecy that, you know, he, this is a prophecy from Amos two years before the, the earthquake. Um, okay. All right. Okay. All this to say, again, uh, Amos prophesied early in Uzziah's reign. Uh, Amos was from Judah and was a sheep breeder, which appears to be a fairly distinguished position. So he pro he's probably part of the elite class kind of a thing. So he's seeing all these people complacent, completely complacent. Um, hypocr yeah, hypocritical religious motions have replaced true worship, creating a false sense of security and, gro and a growing callousness to God's disciplining hand. The name Amos means burden bearer, and he literally, truly uh, lives up to the meaning of his name uh, by bearing up under the, his divinely given uh, burden of declaring judgment to rebellious uh, Israel. Um, so he began his prophecy, though, by prophesying a bunch of judgment against their, uh, their enemies. You know, it, it, it gets past like five or six of them, and then all of a sudden he turns, and it's all of a sudden judgments on Israel and Judah, briefly. But then the rest of the book, the rest of all the prophecies, are specific to Israel. Um, okay. Um, okay, I want to read a portion of Amos. Uh, sorry, real quickly, I should have been writing for this. Where is it? There we go. Uh, four, six, okay. Uh, okay, verse six through okay. So this is chapter four, verse six through thirteen. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you uh, when there was when there were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water. But they were not satisfied, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees. The locusts devoured them, uh, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword, along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord." I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from burning. And yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. 
So basically what he's saying, what Amos is saying is, I would, all these warnings have come over and over and over again. This is your last one. This is your last one. And this is the last one before Israel's taken captive. And Judah's going to be taken after that as well. But Amos is warning. This is your last warning. Stephen had quoted from uh, Amos uh, 5, 25 through 27, when he said, Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? And you also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Ramphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. We, meant, we discussed that at that time. Verse 18 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what, is, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. Verses 6 1 says, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, uh, notable persons in the chief nation, to whom the house of Israel comes. Chapter 8, 11, and 12 say, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of, for water, but of, the, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Again, there was a great earthquake two years later. There, again, there have been many warnings, and this is, basically is the last one um, to Israel. So James is seemingly warning against the same tendency. These Jews are still seeing, you know, the their misunderstanding. Okay, they're they're misunderstanding, and they're they're now they're now they're apart from the salvation of God. And so he's warning against the same tendency. And thanks be to God, uh, this was actually heeded by those men. Now, concerning the passage uh, James references, uh, there, there were many prophecies that James could have used. But he uses Amos, I believe, specifically for that reason. And you see this stuff all over Isaiah, uh, all over Jeremiah. Um, and other than Stephen, James is the only one who quotes from Amos in the book of Acts. Uh, yeah, again, uh, I believe James used this because uh, the same tendency for spiritual complacency in the history of Israel is the same tendency in all men. Uh, now, the tabernacle of David it is the, the kingdom of David, which, which had fallen. There, there are kind of a dual meanings here, okay? So the tabernacle of David is his palace of David, um, which has fallen down, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So come on. The, rebuilding the tabernacle of David is Christ's coming. Remember, the promise to David that there will, one forever, there will be someone who will forever sit on his throne. So that's Christ. Now, remember in John, where it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, and we beheld his grace and, grace and truth. That word for dwelt is literally tabernacled. Christ coming in the flesh fulfills not only law and all of the prophecies, but even the tabernacle and the, and, the, and the temple that God gave his instructions for. And the tabernacle and the temple were beautiful. We're going to read Isaiah. There was nothing beautiful in the appearance of Christ. His word and his truth and his salvation is beautiful. So he, he also fulfills all of the depictions, all of the, all of the um, mandates that God had set out 
in the making of the tabernacle and the tapestry and everything else. And what, God, what Amos is saying and what God's saying through him is, I'll rebuild, first of all, the throne, but through the tabernacle of my son. I'll send my son in the likeness of man, dwelling in a skin, is, is his tent, um, which has fallen down, the, the tabernacle of David. I'll rebuild its ruins. This is also talking about Christ's resurrection. I will rebuild it, which has fallen down, you know, crucified. I rebuild its ruins, resurrection, I will, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Christ's crucifixion, Christ's coming in the fullness of time, in the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, his crucifixion, his resurrection, is so that all the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called, called by my name, who are called by my name again, we've talked, we briefly looked at election, but only the Gentiles who are called by my name will seek the Lord. Says the Lord who does all these things. The men believing us coming to faith is what God does. God does all these things. Very important. Okay. Verses 18 through 21. Known to, this is now James giving his commentary. <laughs> Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from, and from blood. For Moses said through many generations, those who preached him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So again, James concludes basically his observations by re uh, referencing the eternal and perfect foreknowledge of God, again, known to God from eternity are all his works. So he's linking to that, to the conclusion of that last one. God alone does all these things. He's saying, no, and he's calling these people and he's making, he's causing it to where these people seek him. He has known from eternity all these things. Therefore, I judge. This is his sentence. He is the judge of this council, which is, in, which is kind of interesting, right? Christ, the Son of God, is the judge of the world. His half-brother is the judge of this council. I just think it's kind of interesting in that way. Um, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. So he's saying we should not trouble these people. And again, he's linking to Peter's calling it a yoke. It's a burden. And we're going to see, we'll get to that here in a second. Um... Uh, okay, We're, yeah, uh, so not trouble those from among those, you know, who are turning to God. So again, let's not add a, a, burden, a burden that we couldn't carry ourselves. Christians are going to have the, enough burdens of their own. Uh, but we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. These are mostly things that were happening during idolatry worship services, okay? However... One of these four is mentioned throughout the New Testament as well, and that is sexual immorality. Now, this does not only include homosexuality. This also means adultery, uh, incest, all sorts of different things. It's not just sexual immorality. It's all sorts of, I mean, it's not just homosexuality. Now, let me quickly say something here. Real briefly, something that we might or might not get back to. Homosexual, look, 
I'm called to preach the word of God. Okay? My opinion on this shouldn't matter all that much. You know? And I, I, I detest, you know, I don't understand, you know, these... There should be um, some counsel from the church to the, to the governing bodies, right? I don't understand these Christians coming out and screaming at homosexuals. That's not Christian. That's not godly. That's not preaching. And that's not loving. We're called to love our neighbor. Okay? Now, so outside of the church, I don't understand. I, I, don't, I really don't understand the, the, the consternation and all the hubbub about, you know, we know the truth, you know, and, and look, the world is full of darkness. We shouldn't be surprised. That, I mean, men are capable of doing all sorts of things. Men and women are capable of doing all sorts of things. So outside the church, darkness should be expected. Inside the church is another deal. Look, I'm called to preach his word, right? And I've done enough in my life to condemn nobody. I, there's no, I don't think, there's, I don't think I can actually do that. <laughs> you know, even if I were to try, I really just don't think I could. However, God's word is true. When these are happening within the church, then it's a different story. Then it's a different story. And there are, there are disciplines, certain disciplines that the church must take, including and not limited to expulsion. It, it, it just is. So I, I want us to understand and I want us all to embrace the fact that we are not called to hate these people, to run them down, to yell at them. If we are going to approach them, we approach them with Christ. But we don't say, Jesus, you know, hates this or whatever. You know, hey, look, we, we, I know a Savior. What a Christian is, when you preach, you're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what you are. You are both the same. You are both sinners. You're not better than them. Ever, even as Christians, God sees you righteous, but you're not better, okay, in that regard. You're no less a sinner anyway, in that regard. Into the gradations, sure, but ultimately, they're no more a sinner than you are. Again, though, in the church, this is completely different, all right? Oh, by the way, real quickly, too, though, um, homosexuality wasn't really a big deal in the early church. It's only recent phenomenon that we actually have to... So what they're really focusing on there is... Well, like, sometimes... Oh, gosh. Well, it's in the Bible. So sometimes fathers and sons will have the same woman. Like, uh, uh, a son will actually lie with uh, his stepmom or whatever. Uh, this kind of a thing. That's largely what they're focused on. Or adultery, things like that. Homosexuality wasn't a big deal, especially with a Jew. You know, it wasn't a big deal then. It just has been kind of recently, and now we have churches just embracing it. And I'm sorry, that's a dead... Okay, now, let me, let me do this. So, the Catholic Church... So, basically, remember uh, when we briefly looked at Luther at the Diet of Worms, when, when, the, when the church brings him into, into that diet, another council, to, to force him to recant all of his works. And, you know, he says, will you give me a day? They give him a day. He comes back, says, now, do you recant? 
and this is the this is the church. Okay? And he says basically, um, you know, I, my conscience is held captive by the word of God, and to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Um, uh, unless I'm convinced by the sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand. I will do. I can do no other. God help me. So that was to the the the, the tyranny of the church at that time, which is now translated into this liberal church where anything goes. The antinomian church is now the dictator of the churches. Now you're persecuted for saying anything against homosexuality in the pulpit. That is also tyranny. That is against God. That is against his word. So we're called, and we will be persecuted for that. We will. And so we stand, just like Luther. Unless I can be convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Just want to make that brief uh, um, point as well. So James then said that Moses, uh, for Moses has had through, uh, throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So basically James is saying in the synagogues Moses had been preached greatly now it's time for Jesus to be preached greatly um, uh, this again this doesn't nullify the law this this lack of the circumcision this Christ came to fulfill the law uh, the circumcision for the Christian is the circumcision of the heart okay it's the it's the circumcision of the foreskin of the heart James judged that we should not trouble those who are turning to God with burdens which applied only to Old Testament uh, Israel. Again, I said, they will have many other burdens besides. Remember, trials and tribulations are the path of the Christian. However, where Christ is faithful to have his people carry their cross, he is equally faithful to bear it. Even the cross you carry, that burden is lightened by him actually bearing the cross. We will be persecuted. We will have trials. We'll have tribulations. Again, they hate him, they, they will hate us. But it is Christ who bears those. It is Christ who carries them for us and with us forever. Well, until we see him, meet him in glory. Thanks be to God for his word. Uh, we're going to read uh, both Isaiah 52 and 53 because they're fairly short uh, for the conclusion. So does anybody have any questions? How old were the apostles? Yeah, that, it's never said, um, but they're... So I believe Barnabas was older than Paul, um, at least significantly enough to where he's confused as his... Father, I've neglected to mention to y'all that Zeus and Hermes in, in back then were father and son. So anyway, so it suggested to me at that point, but specifically what their ages were very, very, very much because we have an older brother and a younger brother as well. Um, you know, John and James. And, um, uh, and uh, however, Je Jesus was around 30 when he began his ministry. It's very likely that they're around the same age, anywhere around there either older or younger. Um, but yeah, right around there. Um, okay, all right, let me make sure this is working because it wasn't working a second ago. <laughs> sure this is even connected. Oh, wrong one. YouTube. All right, it says it's connected. 
Okay, cool. All right. <clears throat> awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust, arise. Sit down, Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you, sh you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Crisis throughout both of these. These are very big prophecies out of Isaiah for the Christians, especially 53. I love 53. I usually cry like a baby during it. I hope to God that he helps me through this. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore, therefore they shall know it. I'm sorry. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go, with, go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form was and his form moral in the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall go, grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised or rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are, all, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, nor had he done, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, 
he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. But by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercessions, and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, full of grace and truth, feed us by thy Son. Give us wonder, in, like in youth, that at all that thou hast done. Thou who stretched out all the stars, who made the suns and moons, sent thy Son, who bears the scars, that thou hast, that thou hast saved us by the, his wounds. May all the world behold thy name to be proclaimed in all the earth, for our, own, for our only Savior came to give the dead new birth, that all our darkness yesterday is today thy perfect light, that we might seek the better day risen from the night. May all our sorrowed melodies become the song of the redeemed, that all our mournful elegies be the tune of, to Christ esteemed. Lift up thy head, O Christian, lift up thy hands and sing, for Christ lives in us within our blessed faithful King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your tremendous faithfulness. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your word. I pray that you manifest yourselves, yourself, in and through us. We might glorify, magnify your name, now and forever. In Christ's name we ask it. Thank you for listening to CFIRE Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the Book of Acts.